0: I I place their teaching side by side with the Word of God and uh, that's what the Bible says we're to do we're to be like the Bereans in Acts chapter 17 verse 11 we are to search the scriptures when you hear speaking like me today you need to be have your Bibles out and checking to see is that accurate is that faithful to the text so let me give you an example of this recently I read a a book about Christ's return from John Piper the book is come Lord Jesus but Piper plainly teaches that Christ cannot return at any moment since the Antichrist has not been revealed he says So I'm reading that. John Piper's an excellent scholar, but I'm looking at that and I'm thinking to myself, you know, is that what the Bible says? Welcome to the Heartland Free Sermon Podcast. We're so happy to have you. If you're a first time listener and you would like to get to know more about us as a church, click the link in the podcast description. And if you'd like to fill out our online connection card, you can do that there as well. Thanks for joining us, and let's get into a fantastic message was supposed to come back in 1988. Hal Lindsey said so. His best-selling book, The Late Great Planet Earth, sold an astounding, get this, 36 million copies. Okay, that's right up there in the top 10 bestsellers of all time. One of my friends told me that he accepted Christ while reading this book, as, uh, when he was serving on an aircraft carrier in the Middle East. Okay? That's the power of that book. When Hal Lindsay said something, we listened. And Hal confidently maintained that the budding of the fig tree in Matthew 24 is the rebirth of Israel on May 14th, 1948. And Jesus went on to say that the generation that sees that will not pass away until he returns. How further maintain a generation of the Bible is typically 40 years? So therefore, Jesus must return within 40 years of the rebirth of Israel or by May 14th, 1988. Folks, didn't happen, did it? And Hal's prediction that the world would get worse and worse and worse, well, that didn't really happen either. I mean, eight, 1989, our bitter enemy, the Soviet Union, collapsed without a shot being fired. And the Berlin Wall came down. No one predicted that. The mighty Russian bear was on its knees. At the same time, there was a great movement to the Holy Spirit brewing in Boulder, Colorado, led by a football coach, Bill McCartney, and soon stadiums across our country were filled with men praising Jesus. 1997, over a million men gathered in Washington, D.C. for this massive spiritual revival. What on earth is God doing? Today I wanna remind you that God reigns over history. History takes a lot of twists and turns and he will bring to pass his plan and his purposes in his timing. In the last 20 years the pendulum has swung once again. A crescendo of moral darkness is looking more and more like the birth pains that Jesus prophesied in Matthew 24.8, I still believe Jesus will return in my lifetime. According to Revelation 13, at the end of the age will be marked by a one world government and a one world economy and a one world religion. And uh, we're racing toward that right now. I mean, we have the World Economic Forum, we have the Great Reset, we have wokeism that is just gone off the rails. We're closer than ever before. But just when we think we have things figured out, the Lord has a way of surprising us. And that is what is happening here in 626 BC when all of the signs pointed to the imminent collapse of the Jewish nation. This is when the events of 2 Chronicles 34 took place. The Jewish nation had just gone through 55 years of a very wicked king named Manasseh and it had weakened the entire nation. Then his 22-year-old son, Ammon, took over and he continued the evil legacy of his dad. Only two years into his reign, Ammon is assassinated and his eight-year-old son, Josiah, ascends the throne but what can an eight-year-old kid do? And yet it was at that moment that God shows up. Young Josiah has a heart for God. And, and, And he puts his heart and soul into dismantling all of the evil that his dad and granddad had engaged in. And he does it flying blind. I mean, the Torah scrolls, his Bible, had been lost. Now, scholars assume that this happened during the reign of King Hezekiah, when the Assyrians surrounded Jerusalem. The Torah may have been hidden to prevent the Assyrians from seizing it. Now, if that's the case, at least 73 years had passed before the Torah was rediscovered in verse 14. Imagine that. No Bible for 73 years. Now this morning, I want to focus on how King Josiah responded to the rediscovery of God's word. You know, today there are a lot of professing Christians who are flying blind. You know that? Just like Josiah did for the first 18 years of his reign. But Josiah had a good excuse, didn't he? I mean, his Bible had been lost. Uh, We don't have quite that excuse, right? In fact, uh, most of us own several Bibles, but they often sit on the shelf, which grieves the heart of God. You see, God wants us to have a close relationship With him. And we all know that the key to a close relationship is communication. You talk to them, they talk to you. And you exchange thoughts and ideas and hopes and dreams, and you simply enjoy each other's company. That's what God wants with us. But that is impossible without reading the word and praying when we read the Bible, God talks to us. When we pray, we talk to him. That's a relationship. So let me ask you today, how's your relationship with the Lord? Now it could be that you're going through a season in your life where you need to sort of rediscover God's word. And if that's the case, I wanna encourage you to do what King Josiah does here in 2 Chronicles 34. He takes three action steps. First, he seeks to understand what does it say. Second, he desires to discern what does it mean. And third, He desires to live it out, whatever is taught in this word. Let's look at these one by one. Action step number one is to understand what it says. Verse 14, while they were bringing out the money that had been taken into the temple of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord that had been given through Moses. Now this was likely the entire Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Hilkiah said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. And then Shaphan took the book to the king and reported to him, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it in the presence of the king. Now, Bible scholars believe that Shaphan read from the book of Deuteronomy. Why do we say that? Because later it references the book of the covenant, which was likely Deuteronomy. So when Shaphan read from Deuteronomy 4 through 13, King Josiah would have been convicted by all of the wicked things that the Jewish nation had already done. And then when Shaphan read chapters 14 to 18, Josiah would have been disturbed by what the Jewish people had not done because God's word spells out very clearly how they should have been living. And then when Shaphan read from Deuteronomy 27 to 30, Josiah would have been devastated because God's word clearly warns his people that there will be judgment when you don't repent. Now, the more the Bible was read to the king, the more convinced he became that the Jewish nation is toast. According to Second Chronicles 33, 9, Josiah's grandfather, Manasseh, he's done more evil than all of the pagan nations that surrounded them. Manasseh even sacrificed his own sons to pagan gods. And he consulted witches And he brought idols into the temple. And Josiah's dad, Ammon, he was even worse. The lesson for us today, folks, is that God forgives sin, but he doesn't always erase consequences. The Bible warns us about this. Galatians 6 verse 7 says God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that sinful nature will reap destru- destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. When we succumb to temptation, some of the consequences of our actions are gonna live with us for the rest of our lives. Sexual immorality of any kind is especially self-destructive because the Bible warns us that that sin is different. It's a sin against your own body and it not only unleashes wreckage in your life but also unleashes wreckage in anyone you're associated with. If you're living in sin, it's gonna impact your kids some of that impact's gonna be permanent. There have been many studies done on PTSD. Soldiers suffer when they've witnessed terrible things in war zones. The same is true for kids who witness violence and alcoholism and abuse and abandonment. You know what, folks? You can't unscramble the egg. Now, don't get me wrong. God can and will forgive any sin, but the scars from that sin may last until you take your final breath. As God's word was read to King Josiah, all of these things were likely going through his mind and they were weighing him down. And he drank deeply from the word of God and it led to an immediate course correction. You see, that's what God's word should do. The Bible says, Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and it's active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The first thing we should do as we sit down to read God's word is to pray, God, speak to me. Let your word penetrate every part of my life I want your thoughts to be my thoughts. I want your words to be my words. I want your actions to be my actions. Is that your heart's desire today? That's where Josiah was at. The first thing he wanted to do was understand exactly what God was saying to him. Now let's move to action step number two. Discern what it means. Discern what God's word means. Verse 19, when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robes. He gave these orders, go and inquire of the Lord for me about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that has been poured out on us because our fathers have not kept this word. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written in this book. Hilkiah and those the king had sent with him went to speak to the prophetess Holda, and she said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I am gonna bring disaster on this place and on its people. All of the curses written in the book because you have forsaken me. Tell the king of Judah this is what the Lord says. Because your heart was responsive and because you humbled yourself before God, I have heard you. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I am about to bring on this place and those who live here. So we have here good news and bad news. Judgment's coming, but Josiah's not gonna see it. Still, Josiah's left now asking, what do I do, God? Eh? What do I do right now? Josiah likely had a ton of questions. The most important one was, what should I do today? and tomorrow, and the next day. You ever have those questions? You read God's word and you're sitting there and you're pondering and you're thinking, now what do I do now? (laughs) What do I do now? What does this mean for me right now? How do I apply God's word to this situation that I'm in? And you know what, folks? That's where God's people come in. That's where fellowship with your fellow believers comes in. You see, God never intended us to be Lone Ranger Christians. We need each other. To see a model of this, study 1 and 2 Timothy. Timothy was a young believer who was mentored by the Apostle Paul. But Paul wasn't the only one. He told Timothy, he said, your sincere faith first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And then Paul challenged Timothy, what you have heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching. And there were many others that spoke into Timothy's life. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.2, the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses in trust to reliable men who will also be able, qualified to teach others. So Timothy then was also warned. He said, Paul said, there's some people you need to stay away from. Okay? Paul says the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. You don't just pick up, you know, uh, Google something in the internet, and uh, the first thing you stumble across, you say, well, this is what I'm supposed to do, and jump on it. That's a recipe for disaster, isn't it? Paul even went further, and he actually named some names. Timothy was warned to stay away from Demas. <laughs> Be careful of Demas. Why? Why? Because he loves this world, Paul said. But he was encouraged to trust in Luke, Luke's good man. Follow Luke and Mark, verse 11. But stay away from Alexander the metal worker. He's bad news. Okay? So you see how Paul is coaching Timothy here. So let me ask you this today. Who do you turn to when you have questions about applying the Bible to your life? Who do you turn to? Now as for me, I turn first to my wife. I do. She knows me best. She loves me, and she knows the Lord. And uh, she said, Right before uh, I came up, she said, I'm sitting on this side today because you don't always look at this side as much as you should do. Okay? You know what, folks? We all have blind spots, don't we? And so uh, you may not have noticed that, but I've been focusing a little bit more on this side today. Okay? Okay? You see how we need? we need each other? We really do. We need each other because we all have blind spot stuff. You just don't see. Okay? I also turn to godly friends. I turn to my coworkers. We got a great staff. Uh, I turn to our elders, great men of God who are leading our church. And I also turn, particularly if it's a theological question, you know, how to interpret the Bible, I turn to some of the men who trained me, like Don Carson at Trinity, like Wayne Grudem at Trinity, like David Larson at Trinity. I also turn to faithful interpreters of God's word. These are a couple of my go-to guys. John MacArthur, David Jeremiah, Erwin Lutzer's another one. Godly older men that have mentored me via their writings. Now, these are a couple of my mainstays for two reasons. First, because they have faithfully taught the word of God plainly and literally. I always say the Bible was written by ordinary people for ordinary people, and it should be interpreted in, guess what, an ordinary way, okay? You don't try to, you know, read mystical readings into the Bible. Uh, These guys were fishermen and and the like, you know? So uh, these two men have taken that. They've been great examples to me. They just take the Bible at face value. And second, they have lived a life in accordance with the message that they have been taught. Not perfectly, but faithfully. Now even with each of them I, I place their teaching side by side with the word of God. And uh, that's what the Bible says we're to do. We're to be like the Bereans in Acts chapter 17 verse 11. We are to search the scriptures. When you hear speaking like me today, you need to be have your Bibles out and checking to see is that accurate? Is that faithful to the text? Okay? So let me give you an example of this. Recently, I read a, a, a book about Christ's return from uh, John Piper. And uh, John Piper is another one of my mainstays. The book is, "Come, Lord Jesus." But Piper plainly teaches that Christ cannot return at any moment since the Antichrist has not been revealed, he says. Okay, he repeatedly refers to, in his book, a time period at least five to seven years before Christ could return. So I'm reading that. John Piper's an excellent scholar. Love what he reads, uh, what he writes. But I'm looking at that and I'm thinking to myself, you know, is that what the Bible says? Does that match up with what the Scripture says? You know what Jesus said? He said, watch, therefore... For you do not know what day your Lord is coming. So my other professor there, Wayne Grudem, who is on the right, uh, Wayne Grudem lists that verse, and then he lists 29 more verses that point to an any-moment return of Christ. He could come at any moment. Okay, so I'm just looking, I'm taking what I read and then I'm just comparing it to the scriptures. I want to encourage you, choose your mentors, your teachers carefully and wisely. Remember that there is wisdom in numbers. Okay, I've just given you four men there and I will compare them one against the other, you know. If it says, you know, and and just see what what do they say about this? you get to a troubling passage. King Josiah, now notice this, he sent a committee of five people, didn't he, to seek out uh, counsel from Huldah the prophetess. The prophets Jeremiah and Zephaniah were both living at the time, but the committee went to Huldah, which I found to be very interesting. Huldah is one of several women in the Bible who have the gift of prophecy. Like Miriam, Exodus 15, Deborah, Judges 4, Anna, Luke chapter two, the four daughters of Philip, Acts 21, these were women who had the gift of prophecy. They correctly taught the word of God. They were teachers, they weren't elders. The Greek words for elder, always in the masculine tense. That's why we have male elders. Deacons, you find them both male and female tense. We have male and female deacons, okay? We're trying, best we can, to follow what the scripture says. Now I thank God for many ladies that I learned from. My mom was such a powerful mentor to me. Authors like Elisa Childers. I'm, I'm, uh, when I'm walking the dog, I've got Elisa Childers on podcast and, and just uh, really enjoy that lady. Uh, Nancy Piercy is number one on my go-to. Jan Markell uh, with Olive Tree Ministries. I see these ladies as modern-day prophetesses. I can learn from. Hulda's message to King Josiah was twofold. Judgment's coming, but not in your lifetime. <laughs> the end of verse 28 says, So they took her answer back to the king. And it doesn't say this, but you know what I think happened? I think Josiah breathed a huge sigh of relief. Man, at least I'm not going to see this. That brings us to action step number three. Josiah sought to live out what it teaches. Verse 29 says, Then the king called together the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, likely Deuteronomy. The king stood by his pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands with all his heart and soul. Verse 33 Josiah removed all the detestable idols from all of the territory belonging to the Israelites. As long as he lived, they did not fail to follow the Lord, the God of their fathers. Josiah said, not on my watch. As long as I'm alive, we're not having these idols. I love what happens next in chapter 35. It begins like this. Josiah celebrated the Passover. You see, a lot of people think that following the Lord, it's all sackcloth and ashes and rules and regulations and drab and dreary. You know what? Nothing could be further from the truth. First thing they did, we're going to throw one huge party. Okay, Because five times in this chapter, the word celebrate is used. You get right with God, it's worth celebrating. Verse 17, the Israelites who were present celebrated the Passover at that time. The Passover had not been observed like this in Israel since the days of Samuel. None of the kings of Israel ever celebrated such a Passover as Josiah did with the priests and Levites and all Judah and Israel who were there with the people of Jerusalem. This Passover was celebrated in the 18th year of Josiah's reign. It was a happy time. It was a joyous time, a great time for the Jewish people. The next 13 years, Josiah reigned over the land, no idols, and then an Egyptian arrow claimed his life. Don't miss this simple fact about following Jesus. Do you want a life filled with love and joy and peace? Who on earth wouldn't want that? The happy life is not found pursuing money or fame or success. It's not even found in finding the perfect job, marrying the perfect mate, raising the perfect kids. Try that one out. (laughs) All of those things You know, may bring a temporary sort of satisfaction, but here's happiness according to Jesus. Jesus said, Matthew 5, verse 6, blessed, happy, is what that word makarios in the Greek means, happy. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled, content. Praise God. I close with this. The life of King Josiah summarized in 2 Kings 24.8. It says this, Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did, with all his heart and all his soul and all his strength in accordance with all the law of Moses. Nevertheless, the Lord did not turn away from the heat of his fierce anger. The Lord said, I will remove Judah also from my presence as I removed Israel, and I will reject Jerusalem, the city I chose, and this temple. Heartland family, here's the lesson for us today. We may very well be living in the end times right now. In fact, do you realize that Hal Lindsey's prediction may still come to pass? In a little different fashion, than what he expected. After all, there are still people living today who saw Israel become a nation in 1948. You're still alive. That generation has not entirely passed away. Meanwhile, all of the other prophecies of Matthew 24, I mean, they are just accelerating like birth pain. That's what Jesus calls them. False teachers everywhere. Unusual weather patterns. Storms, hurricanes, tornadoes. Um, all of these earthquakes plaguing us. And folks, we have seen a great falling away from the faith, just as Jesus prophesied. And yet, it continues alongside of record numbers of people coming to faith in Christ. Both are prophesied by Jesus in Matthew 24. Even more ominous is the rise of artificial intelligence. You know, there was one of the execs from Google just resigned this week. And he said, the reason I'm resigning is because the artificial intelligence that they are pursuing at Google is just, it's going to take over. It's spinning out of control. These guys don't, they, they, don't, they don't know where to stop, hey? And that's why, he's, that's why he resigned. He said, I want to warn people of this. We have to get a hold of this runaway technology is all over that's allowing us for the first time to experiment with human DNA in all kinds of bizarre ways. If you think transgender's the new frontier of evil, wait until transhumanism goes full steam where we are, have enhanced bodies, okay? And brain chips to help us think faster and appendages on us to help us do things faster, and all kinds of things like that, that are on the horizon. Pastor John MacArthur says America's gone too far. MacArthur says we have crossed the Rubicon. Judgment is inevitable. Friends, I'm not so sure of that. God has surprised us before, and he could surprise us again. What I am sure of is that you can be, right now, wherever you're at, you can be like King Josiah. You can live all out for God, just like Josiah. No one in your family before or since followed Jesus like Josiah did, and like you can live. You can train your children to live all out for God. There will be a day when Jesus will return at the rapture to call his people home. I believe those who are taken out will be protected from the wrath of God that's gonna be poured out on our planet. Are you ready to meet Jesus when he returns? He could come back today. Could come back in the next 10 minutes. Are you ready?